Well, you don't need me to remind you of the age we live in uh, this morning. Uh, We're all living it, so it's not anything that you need me to remind you with. Uh, But it's interesting how we take on this age, how how we try to control uh, the situation. We use uh, what might be called coping mechanisms uh, that are designed to insulate ourselves from what we're actually hearing and seeing, what we're experiencing, and even the things that we imagine might befall us uh, at some point uh, in the future. Well, for some of us, uh, if you're like me, entertainment has been the choice uh, for escape. And I'm not alone, and you're not alone in that either. Uh, We've learned this about statistics here. In the first six months of 2020, you may have seen this in the news, that Netflix uh, had as many subscribers just in that first six months as they had in all of 2019 combined, that they added that many subscribers. In fact, Disney Plus, which we've been enjoying at in my home uh, with our, uh, my wife and I, our daughter Rory, uh, that hit the 60 million subscriber mark by the second quarter this year. And that, that's a big number, right? You hear that number. That's, that's, that's pretty significant, pretty huge. It's even more significant when you realize that Disney has set a goal to reach that number by 2024. Uh, and so they reached it uh, by the second quarter of 2020. For others, uh, we try to seek to self-medicate. And quite literally, we do this through substance abuse. Uh, in September, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported that the opioid crisis has intensified during the pandemic, uh, noting this, when COVID-19 struck, the U.S. was already in the grip of an expanding drug overdose crisis. It has only gotten worse since then. goes on, uh, we read different reports here. The American Medical Association actually released a briefing on this, and in that briefing, they use this type of language to talk about what's going on. They are greatly concerned. Still, some might find solace in conspiracy theories. Maybe you're watching this now and you're, you're wondering if my mention of a conspiracy theory is actually part of a larger conspiracy theory. And so you're listening careful to any type of riddle I might be speaking this morning. I assure you that's not the case. There's a number of conspiracy theories out there right now that are floating around. Uh, we're not going to mention any in specifically lest we give them more time than they deserve or even more credit. But you might be thinking that there's a proliferation of these in current times. There seems to be more of these going around at this point. If that's the way uh, you think, you're, you're not alone in that. In fact, Politico headlined a June article with this. You're living in the golden age of conspiracy theories. So there are indeed more and more of those. In this age of powerlessness, of rising anxiety, of uncertainty, we want something certain. The mechanisms we employ to cope, uh, so we think, are efforts to get to that place of solace. They're control measures that we employ. So let me ask you this. How is that working for you? How are those mechanisms working and shaping your life? Is it for something better? Well, if your grip is beginning to tire a bit, if you're losing your hold, so to speak, I think Colossians 3 invites you and me uh, to another way, a better way this morning. Note this, Paul charges his readers to seek the things that are above in verse 1. He comes right out there and and throws that in there. 
And he offers a related, set your, set your minds on things that are above in verse 2. So you have these two pairings of where we're supposed to set our focus. And we have this, this direction, this above. And on first hearing, uh, the thought might be that this sounds like some kind of encouragement to do what we've been doing already, to escape. That somehow I'm given justification for this new coping mechanism. Maybe it's a spiritual coping mechanism is how we might read that. But reading that in isolation, if this was the verse stood by itself, uh, I could see how we might, we might land there or how we might get that impression. But when we read the last part of chapter 2, uh, we recognize that that's far from the case. Actually, the Apostle Paul addresses, and we heard this last week, uh, addresses what appears to be a local issue that, in fact, if you read the New Testament, uh, has a lot of universal appeal to it. It's related to the abuse of rules and regulations, uh, to phony wisdom, and perhaps what we might call a kind of ancient virtue signaling that's stirred into this mix. And so Paul here, what he does is he, he questions uh, these things. He questions that attitude, what he, what he calls these earthly type things. He literally says to them, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? And we see that in verse 20 of chapter 2. But here in chapter 3, he's going to contrast worldly here with a totally different picture, a totally different orientation. And so taking those connected together, chapters 2 and chapter 3, we quickly realize that this is not an escape off to some imagined or abstract place. This above is actually identified with a very specific place. It's where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And Paul uses above language elsewhere in his writings. We actually see that in Galatians 4 and Philippians chapter 3. And each time he speaks of what we might identify as heaven, or what we're quick to call heaven, what really is the place of God's abode. Paul's encouragement here is that we not put our heads or lose ourselves in the clouds, but rather that we find ourselves and our direction in God. We set our sights on what God desires. We go to that place where God is at. Now, that's easier said than done. My life choices, and I'm sure you've experienced uh, the same here, are usually not directed by heaven. They're usually not directed by what God's desires are for me. But rather, they're oftentimes directed by my pocketbook. They're not usually made by what God wants for me, but what I think others expect of me. Decisions that I make aren't always determined by God's values, uh, but rather by values imposed on me by marketers, uh, the culture in which I live, or even my own self-serving ambition. Values and things that I set my heart towards, the way that I live my life, is not oftentimes formed by good news. It's oftentimes shaped by the scraps I pick up on various news outlets. Social media, for instance. It's not by the one who sits on heaven's throne oftentimes, and I've heard this one a number of times from folks just over the last few weeks, uh, seeing them uh, post things online, but also in conversation with folks. It's not always set by heaven's throne, my priorities for life, but rather who sits in the Oval Office, or even who I wish to be in the Oval Office. And on and on and on, the list of things that shape my life, the things that give me direction and orientation in this life, go. But here in Colossians 3, Paul will write in the present tense. 
And that's important. It means that the activity that Paul is encouraging his readers to be involved in, we're to be active in it. We're to be vigilant. We're to be constantly striving towards this. And this is an orientation that seeks direction from above. A mind that is set on such a pursuit. It sounds difficult if it was totally up to you and to me. But these same readers are identified from the outside or from the outset with a condition, the conditional if. And that is not only good news, it makes all of this possible. Note the if here, and it's the basis for how this is even possible. If you have been raised with Christ, like I said, that's the beginning of a conditional statement. If this, then this. Similar to like when you're growing up. If you take the cookies before they're ready, then you will be grounded, right? So here's the condition here. This is a much better story than that story. The condition here presumes that the respondent is not only a believer, which is great news if you feel the bar is a bit high when it comes to being a disciple as you read through Colossians and go, wow, that bar is set super high. Remember, it's written to people that needed encouragement. And so the first century believers are very much like believers today. Sometimes we get it. Sometimes we don't. Oftentimes we miss it. And Paul here is reminding them once more what they're called to because they needed that reminder. We all do. Early believers didn't always have it all together. But even more importantly here, we hear something that's transformative here. Raised with Christ in verse 1. That's resurrection language right there, which moves us to one of two places immediately. Mainly, we think of the resurrection of Jesus, that first Easter. And then subsequently, we might think of possibly our own resurrection at some future date, at some future time. But note here that Paul's words speak of a third place, speak of a place that we're to see in light of that first Easter, the effect of being raised with Christ and that happening now. And this effect is picked up in other places. Paul will write earlier in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 12, when you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, and I would encourage you, if you haven't read Ephesians 2 lately, uh, to spend some time reading that passage. But picking up in verse 4, he says this, Paul writes, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Or Romans chapter 6. Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Transformation, transformed through the resurrection here in this life making it possible that Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Listen closely here. That's not only motivation to seek direction from above, but it's also the very means by which this is even possible. That's grace. All is grace. And grace positions us as hidden in Christ 
in God, as we hear in verse 3. But one day revealed with Christ in glory. That's apocalyptic type language. And you might think that's a little strange. Apocalyptic language. We're living in apocalyptic type times. You go online and you look at the dictionary. I remember a day you used to go to a dictionary, but now we go online to the dictionary, which I do oftentimes. And I was looking at the Oxford Dictionary, and I wondered how apocalyptic would be defined if it would sound something like the way we're living today. Oxford Dictionary says this, it's the complete final destruction of the world as described in the biblical book of Revelation. That's the first definition that shows up for apocalyptic. The second one that showed up, an event involving destruction or damage on an awesome or catastrophic scale. None of that is happy or joyful sounding, But what you should probably note here is when the Bible talks about apocalypse or apocalyptic type thing, it's telling a far different story. It doesn't mean either one of those, actually. The word's etymology itself actually speaks to this. Apocalypse simply means to uncover or to reveal. It's two Greek words that come together uh, to form this meaning. And so we see Paul here using that notion of something that's to be revealed. We saw it earlier with wisdom in Colossians, and here he talks about the believers themselves as those who are hidden in Christ to be revealed with Christ one day in glory. That's all meant to be a contrast here, this idea that we belong to Jesus, that we one day will be shown in glory. That contrasts this idea of earthly measures and indicators that were spoken of in chapter 2. This is something bigger, and it taps into an old, old story, an old story of a God who loved humanity A God who loved a people that he called to be his own and would say this in in the psalmist in Psalm 27, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. So we hear this in Colossians chapter 3. We hear uh, these words about the one who has good things for us, who desires to, uh, to rescue us. And Remember, this was written by a guy who's in prison. And so it's not somebody who's coming uh, from a a really strong, happy... He's not writing from a birthday party. He's writing from a very desperate place, a place where there's a lot of unknowns like the way we live today. What do we do do with something like this? What does it mean for us? Well, let me give a few suggestions here. One is this. We're we're about to enter a section, or we have entered a section here in Colossians in chapter 3 that gives attention to how we are to orient our lives uh, in light of our being in Christ. Of course, the question here is, how is our life oriented right now? Do you find yourself trapped, and I mean trapped, in the worries of today? Are you enamored by the ideas of our time? Are you enveloped in the attempts at personal gain, so much so that each one of those is driving and dictating the way that you live your life today? That you literally, when you come through, and, I, and I've heard this from people before, um, in election cycles, literally the day after the election, your whole mood and your day is ruined and wrecked because of the results. These are all things that speak to a worrisome place, which is our orientation, our direction is coming uh, from another place, and it's not the throne of God. Remember this, you who are in Christ, we're to seek direction from above not to continue to conform to the way of the world. We are called to be transformed, to be a transformed people. Second thing is this, is for this even to to be a part of our life and our story, 
uh, to see this happen. Uh, we need to adopt a new anthem for life, uh, to have a, a, a new sense, a new, uh, a new song that kind of rings through us and speaks to who we are. This past week, I had a, a chance to look at a website that makes a bold claim. Uh, that claim being that uh, your, so- your life song is actually, or your life is defined by a song that was number one when you were 14 years old. So when you turned 14, the claim is your life story is actually shaped by that song. And you can actually type into this website your birth date, and it will tell you which song was the number one song on your birth date when you turned 14. So I typed in Pastor John and put his birth date in there. (laughs) Pastor John life story according to the website and i got his permission to share share this his story is written in the words of unbreak my heart by tony braxton that's john's life song according to that website my wife andrea i put her in as well just to see what would happen and apparently her life has been shaped and her life focus and direction is based on the song i'm your angel by r kelly and celine dion And then I put my birth date in. I did not know this. But my life has been shaped by Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. (laughs) It's funny. But no, that's that's not what I mean here by having a new anthem for life. We're not to find our identity, as Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, in philosophy and empty deceit, in human tradition, and elemental spirits of the universe, and matters of food and drink, or observing festivals, or new moons and Sabbaths, or even songs that were popular when you were 14. But rather, we are to have the defining anthem from Colossians chapter 1, and that is Jesus Christ, and that being Christ at the center of our lives. The third thing I would just offer here for us to hear this morning, and to really take to heart, to be those who take direction from above, there's a reminder in all this that you belong and not to yourself, but rather as those witnesses uh, looking at the witness of Scripture so many years ago, hundreds of years ago, reading Scripture and recognizing the fundamental identity that you and me have as disciples of Christ, that we belong, body and soul, in life and death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And as those who belong, we're to seek God, we're to set our minds on God's direction. And as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, we're to continue to live our lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. May it be so for us today, may it be so forever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you on this morning for your great love for us, which is shown to us in so many ways, uh, your grace which abounds even in this day, even in this time. And so, Lord, as your people, as we've gathered around your word and we've heard your voice speak by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, transform us once more. Renew us in that place that we might be once more resilient in faith, Uh, loving of you and and caring for all the world. Lord, that we might live into that place, even when fear tells us something other. Help us to live into that place where we seek you, where we set our mind 
on you and your direction, that we might be of a greater good here in this life, in this time, in the world you've placed us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.